Ah, what's up, folks? Welcome back to the HVAC Know It All podcast. So today um, we have a special guest, and it's funny because ever since I started the HVAC Know It All project, I've talked to a lot of interesting people. I've seen a lot of interesting posts from techs, from guys that work at the counter, at the supply house, from engineers, from business owners, etc. You name it. But there's one gentleman in particular, okay, and he posts in my HVAC hub, powered by HVAC Know It All, all the time. That's Eric L. Sherman. Now, Eric works in marine HVAC. He works on luxury yachts, which is pretty cool. He gets to wear shorts to work. He has spectacular views. He gets to travel. It looks like a cool job. Now, on this episode, I'm going to give Eric a ding, and I'm going to talk to him about what he does. Does he like it? Is it a good job? Those kind of things. All right. Now, I've talked to Eric previously. We've actually had a couple of conversations where we went through an entire interview. An entire interview, but we had technical problems with the app and a couple of different things I was trying. Like I've told you guys before, I'm still learning this podcast game and... Things are progressing. So we're going to talk to Eric today. And you're going to hear what he's got to say about the niche part of the trade he's in. Because it is niche. I mean, how many people get to work on luxury yachts? It actually interested me to the point where I asked him one time. I said, where exactly are, like I knew he was in Florida, but I didn't know exactly where. And I actually looked up real estate in that area just to see. I wasn't planning on moving to Florida to become a marine HVAC technician, but hey, you never know. So I actually looked looked it up. And there were some nice homes, actually, um, in the area for about $400,000. Pools in the backyard, the whole shebang. That was about a year ago. I don't know if prices have changed now. Um, but we're going to get to Eric. This is the HVAC Know It All podcast. I'm your host, Gary McCready. So I've been lacing out the pump tips from Armstrong. Um, we've got three or four of them out so far. And the pump tip from yesterday is a really good one for service techs that service pumps on a regular basis. Um, so the older Armstrong S&H circulators... Uh, you don't need to replace it because Armstrong, they provide a um, seal bearing assembly, an SBA. So a universal seal bearing assembly, it contains this interchangeable module that includes a pump shaft, a sleeve bearing, copper sleeve, and donut wicking system. So with as few as five types of these seal bearing assemblies, uh, more than 100 different Armstrong and B&G pump models can be converted to the module program. So that's that's pretty cool, and that's that's good to know. So if you want more information on that, go to armstrongfluidtechnology.com. Um, what I did was I actually Googled 
Armstrong universal uh, seal bearing assemblies. And I scrolled down the page a little bit and it actually took me to a really cool PDF slash brochure um, for Armstrong that gave me more information on these. So check that out, guys. This podcast is brought to you by Armstrong. So I get daily messages from the good HVACers of the world, and I love the feedback, positive or negative. It's great, but I got one recently that's going to blow your mind. It blew my mind. So this gentleman signed up for the 14-day free trial at Field Pulse Service Business Software to go paperless. He said the very next day, he was able to shoot magic lightning bolts out of his ass. These magic lightning bolts would repair any piece of equipment he was working on if he pointed the lightning bolt at the machine. Can you believe that? That's unbelievable. So guys, if you want to shoot magic repairing lightning bolts out of your ass, go to fieldpulse.com forward slash HVAC know-it-all and sign up for your 14-day free trial. So I just wanted to take a minute and kind of get on my soapbox Kind of, sort of. So, none of this would exist without some help. When I say none of this, I mean the HVAC Know It All podcast. I mean HVACKNowItAll.com, all the social media platforms I manage, and all the time, and all the effort, and all the hair pulling, and all the patience endured. None of that would exist without the help of partnerships, okay? I utilize sponsorships to help out with that. I don't think that you guys completely understand the amount of time it takes to run something similar to this, to what I'm doing. Like I'm on Facebook, two groups, Instagram, LinkedIn, podcast, website, YouTube, okay? I also have a full-time job and a family, and I'm trying to juggle all of it at once. So I probably spend easily 20 to 25 hours creating content, looking through to make sure everything's running properly, engaging with people, liking other people's stuff. It's not easy, okay? So one thing I do notice is that there's, there's other people out there doing similar to what I'm doing with podcasting, with writing blogs and articles, and being influencers on their own social media platforms. And I notice that there's a small population, there's a small group of people, they're mi the minority, but there's a small group of people that like to come down on others for utilizing sponsorship. Now, I'm going to tell you that's complete bullshit because... Like I said, there's a lot of time and a lot of effort that goes into it. Okay, for me, I've got I've got costs to do that to run this. It's not free to build a website. It costs a few thousand bucks. It's not free to maintain a website. It's not free to promote your podcast or all your social media platforms. Okay, but it's all done under the intent of positivity to help people and educate people in the HVAC industry, whether it be with articles on tips, whether it be new tools that are coming out. Okay, so don't come down on guys that are util utilizing sponsorship. It's not right. 
Okay. Now my sponsors, and I got to thank them hold wholeheartedly Testo yellow jacket, refrigeration technologies, Armstrong field pulse, true tech tools, and always guys save 8% with your purchase at true tech tools using promo code. Know it all K N O W I T A L L. Now full disclosure here. You don't just jump into bed with any old sponsor or any old company that's willing to sponsor you. And companies just don't jump into bed with any old guy or girl on social media that wants to be sponsored. There's a vetting process. At least with me, there was. The fit has to be right between the company and the person running the social media end. I've been approached by many companies that I have refused to work with because my gut instinct told them, hey, this is not what I want. I don't trust them. Now, the sponsors that I work with, I trust. There's a problem with something. If I email them, they're more than willing to help, whether it be with a tool, a product. They want to help. They want to progress. They want to learn about what might not be right with their product and make it better. And that's what I like. Okay. There is a lot of communication between myself and the people that I work with before we actually agreed to work with each other. There was phone calls. There were emails and many of them before we decided, hey, this is a fit. I trust you, you trust me, let's go down this path and let's see where it leads us. And it's all been awesome. It's been positive stuff and they've helped me along the way grow my brand and I've helped them grow theirs. So thank you very much to Testo, Yellow Jacket, Refrigeration Technologies, True Tech Tools, Armstrong and Field Pulse. Thank you guys, couldn't do it without you. So I just wanted to give you guys a little bit of uh, an update on how it's progressing with myself and this audio recording and podcasting thing. I didn't know anything about recording audio or podcasting until about four months ago. And quite frankly, I, st I still don't. I'm learning on the fly. I'm learning as I go. Um, but if you listen to a couple podcasts ago, and I had a conversation with Rick Resigno, my voice was breaking up a little bit. And the app I was using, it was called Black Box, a phone recording app. I got rid of it because it wasn't, it wasn't working well with my phone. I tried several other apps, and I, f I finally, I think I found one that seems to work well with my phone and the Anchor app I publish the podcast on. Now, when you listen to me and Eric, our voices are, are, are very clear. There's a little bit of crackling in the background at times. Now, I'm trying to figure out where that's coming from. I don't think it's the equipment because when I speak by myself, I don't hear any crackling whatsoever when I play back um, segments. So it could be a phone connection thing. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue to, uh, to look into this and progress forward. Um, and just so you guys know, the Anchor app at the moment, it's got some limitations as to um, editing. I can't go and take a segment and take 30 seconds out here or there or in the middle 
of the segment. I just can't do that right now because the app won't allow me to. I think they're working on 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 adding those editing features um, in the near future, and I believe that if you have an iPad, you can actually edit with an iPad, but you can't do that with a, a phone or an Android device. So, I mean, if it comes down to it, I might have to get myself an iPad. Because just before the conversation with Eric, I dial him up, and you can hear the operator telling me that I forgot to add the one before I called him. So they added it, they added it for me, and then it rang a couple times, and then he answers the phone. But you know what? Stuff like that, it's it seems pretty natural and pretty organic to me. Um, like live radio, almost, in a way. Because when you're listening to live radio and somebody calls up a guest, you hear that kind of stuff a lot of times. Anyway, I just wanted to give you guys an update on how things were progressing in my learning curve. So here's Eric L. Sherman right now. To avoid this message, please dial 1 before a 10-digit long-distance number. Thank you. Hey, hello. Hey, Eric. How you doing? Good. How you doing? Good. Hey, so <laughs> one thing I've learned is that uh, in life, there's, there's no absolutes. Right. <laughs> in HVAC or podcasting. So, um, so everybody is aware. This is our uh, this is our third attempt at this. And I, Eric, just so you know, I just in the intro, I recorded the intro to this podcast earlier, um, and uh-huh. I had I had mentioned to everybody that. The uh, technical difficulty bugs were out and about when when you and I were trying to chat. So um, yeah, <laughs> so I've I've been playing with some apps and I finally found one that kind of jives with my phone and jives with the the anchor app that I published the podcast on. All right, and it's it's up and running on my phone in the background. I see it here, and I don't know what it is. What kind of phone do you have? You have an, like an Android or an iPhone? I have an Android, yeah. I've been noticing lately that a lot of um, apps, they don't work properly with Android phones. And, and I don't know why, but oh. anyway. Interesting. That's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about you and, and what you do. And um, so a lot, of, a lot of guys out there that and girls that, that uh, frequent my HVAC hub powered by HVAC know-it-all will see your posts and that's where I started to see your posts and that's what got me interested in what you do and what you do is marine HVAC and I know this is going to sound like a broken record to you and I because we've discussed this twice already but well no it's been good practice (laughs) no 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 it has been and actually the first conversation we had went well but the second one went even better so Third time's a charm. With age here. Third, <laughs> third time's a charm, right? So why don't you explain to everybody what exactly Marine HVAC is? All right, we're a specialty company. We do Marine HVAC, which is Marine Air Conditioning, Refrigeration, and Watermakers, and we work on private yachts only. That's all we do is boats. So when you say private yachts, you mean 
well, I, I guess you don't mean, but when you say private yacht, those those relate to luxury yachts for the stars. The, the yeah, these are yeah, these are private luxury yachts. No commercial vessels. None of that. None of those types of commercial fish, you know, fishing boats or cruise ships or any of that stuff. These are all privately owned and used fancy yachts. Very fancy. <laughs> um. So, and you were mentioning the last time we talked that sometimes you actually go to the yacht owner's home because their dock is actually right in their backyard, which is, which is unbelievable to me. That's really cool. Yeah, we have a lot of, um, we have a lot of canals in South Florida. We have a lot of waterways and a lot of very big houses on waterways that have nice dock spaces behind them. Uh, yeah, I go to homes that have 100 footers sitting behind them and this is their second or third vacation home it's not necessarily actually their first home and they have a hundred hundred twenty foot of sitting out back yeah that's incredible to be to, to well, have that. yeah we also yeah but that's not the you know everyday call it's it's quite a variety of you know we go behind these big houses that have yachts behind them um and also there's a lot of marinas in the area around fort lauderdale and you know north of in the north and south of here um and we have a lot of boat yards because this is the yachting capital of the world, Fort Lauderdale. Um, we have the best of the best service and service companies here uh, besides marine air conditioning, because this is where it's all based out of is South Florida. Both of the major manufacturers and distributors are right here in South Florida. So this is the main hub. But along with the other companies through the diesel engines, the electronics, the, the paint work, this is this is the place in the whole world, the best place to get it done. Cool. Now you mentioned to me the last time we spoke that the summertime when everybody's running ragged, uh, doing calls and working like fourteen, fifteen hour days, that it's actually your slow <laughs> your slow period. So can you explain that to me again? Because I actually yeah. for, forget the, the the borders. You're talking about the northern border and the and the southern border where the boats go. Right. Go. Well, there's Two reasons why summer is actually our off season. Uh, one is hurricane season. So due to insurance purposes, most boats have to be above North Carolina or below Cuba. They have to be out of the zone. Um, and it's also Mediterranean season. So the large yachts that do charter service in the Mediterranean, that would be in the summer season. So a lot of boats leave the area due to charter season and due to hurricane season. That's the two main reasons that we're kind of, you know, kind of slow in the summertime. There's a lot less boats in the area. That makes a lot of sense. So what happens if these boats don't leave the area and they have an issue because of a hurricane, like they have some damage to their boat, they're not covered? Is, is that how it works? Uh, you know, honestly, I don't really know much about boat insurance. Um, there probably would be an issue because I'm sure boat insurance is very tough. Um, but I don't really know. Uh, let's put it this way. When it comes to very wealthy people, um, they don't play by the same rules because they actually have their own set of rules because they just have so much money. So it, it's really hard to say. <laughs> yeah. The rich and famous. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so one thing I've learned from you that on these yachts, um, they're not just called rooms or bedrooms. They're called state rooms. Very, very rich, rich, yes. rich, rich terminology. So, and, and I think I coupled it 
last time to, to the way these work is that uh, like in a, in a condo or in a, an apartment building, like when I first moved out with my wife many years ago, before we got married, we lived in an apartment building and we had a fan coil in our unit. And in the summertime, chilled water ran through that fan coil coming from a chiller in a mechanical right. room with a set of pumps. And then in the wintertime, they switch over the loop and they'd run hot water through that fan coil, um, obviously with a set of pumps again. So it's kind of similar with, um, with these staterooms. They all have their own fan coils and they're all provided chilled water to them, correct? Yeah, it's actually very similar to a building type setup, our, our chiller systems in a yacht. Uh, we have a chiller plant in the engine room, and we have fan coils in every stateroom and every area of the boat, the galley, the salon, pilot house. Every area of the boat has its own fan coils, obviously sized for that area, and has its own display. So every sec- you know, every room on the boat is its own zone operated by the water valve on the fan coil. That's, that's all it really is. It's really a pretty simple system. There's really not a lot to it. Um, and we just utilize pumps next to the chillers to circulate the water through the chill water loop. And when the boat comes out of the water, since we have seawater cooled condensers, we actually hook the boats up to a regular cooling tower, and it does the exact same thing when the boat's out of the water. We keep the chiller plant running. Very cool. That's awesome. Um, and one thing that you mentioned in in the beginning there is water makers. And I didn't know what you had meant previously when we talked about water maker. And I asked you the last time, and I found it really cool right. what the, what they are. So if you, if you could explain to everybody what a water maker on a yacht sure. is and what, what it does. Yeah, what we do is, is our water makers is basically it's a it's a desalinator. We take seawater. Um, and under high pressure with membranes, we basically squeeze the salt out of it. Um, it goes through a couple filters, and it becomes very usable drinking water with low um, salt content. We get it on average below 150 parts per million um, salt content, which is better than most bottled water. A lot of bottled water is between 150 and 250 parts per million. So it's very good drinking water, and we make it right out of seawater. We have a through hull, and we pump it right in, right into the machine, and start squeezing the salt out of it under high pressure, about uh, between six and 800 psi in those membranes. Wow. So does it do any cleaning of bacteria or anything like that of the water as well? Yeah, there's other applications that we incorporate into the machine, such as there's, there's UV lights. We have we have various types of filters, oil, water separators. Um, if the machine produces uh, very low parts per million, we have to use a remineralizer on it if they're going to use it for drinking water because there'll they'll actually be nothing left in the water. We can squeeze it down to virtually nothing left in the water, no minerals, nothing. Um, so there's a bunch of different filters that we use on the machines. It's not just the membranes. There's actually pre-filters before the water even goes into the membranes um, that starts filtering out various things. Cool. And those those are typically in the same area where the chillers and, and the pumps are located? Yeah, yeah. Those are in the engine rooms. So that's another piece of equipment that's located in the engine room. And those are just plumbed into the freshwater tank. That's all. That's That's really interesting. So I I didn't like that's something I never thought of when you're out on a yacht and and you're uh, 
you're out for a few days. Like, what do you drink? Like, I never thought about that. Like I was, I, I'd, I'd imagine that you just bring a whole bunch of bottled water with you, but that's actually really cool well, that you can turn the seawater <laughs> into drinking water. Honestly, yeah. yeah. Well, you can't bring a couple of bottles of water if you're trying to fill a three to 5,000 gallon tank. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's exactly. why we have these machines and you know, the average is 2000 gallons a day. So some of these yachts have two water makers on them. They'll have two 2,500-gallon-a-day machines on them. So they're producing quite a bit of water. Cool. So the fact that they're in these engine rooms, um, we, we talked previously about a white compressor that, that you had posted, that you had <laughs> you, you had painted that one yourself, right? That's, yeah, I do a lot of the painting. I'm, I'm a specialist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so an, an HVAC guy that paints, awesome. Okay. So, so the, you painted the compressor white and I thought that was really cool. Um, because I didn't know why you were painting it white and it intrigued me to find out why. And then I started reading your post about that and you went on to, to explain why, um, because of, um, you can find leaks a little bit better. Like maybe if you have a shorted winding on a compressor, you can see where the black mark maybe hit the white paint, stuff like that. Right. Yeah, it's you know mostly for leaks. That's the most common uh, leaks, corrosion, um, you know things, other pieces of equipment that might be dripping water, drains in the engine room that are leaking. There's a lot of leak sources in an engine room, um, not only from the equipment but equipment around it. So especially for the not necessarily for the you know chiller plant, but of course it does help us. But mainly the main reason really is is for the engines, the main engines. It's a lot easier to see oil leaks. You know, these these are these are huge engines. We have V16s in these things. I mean, there's there's V12s, V16s. These things are massive. They're the size of a you know small car. They're huge. Um, so there's you know there's a lot of areas that can leak. Um, you know, huge valve covers, and uh, it makes it a lot easier to spot it, especially when they're underway and something happens. Um, smoke sparks uh things like that it's just you know white background makes it a lot easier to see and you know it also shows the age on things too and how it's maintained but white is also very pretty white is very clean so you walk into these engine rooms it's like walking into um you know uh you know surgery it's just a lot of them are spotless some of them you can eat off the floor and it's just part of the being prestige and being clean and shiny and white and chrome and all that fancy stuff. And they are quite fancy and a lot of them are very pretty. Now you said that before we, when we were speaking that if you paint that compressor white, it's not going to avoid the warranty on it. Right. And you said that even some of the, the suppliers or manufacturers will paint them white for you. If you pre-order it that way, is that right? That's correct. In fact, both of the major manufacturers that manufacture our equipment um, there's a lot of components that the, you know, we can actually pay for the paint option and have them, have it painted at the factory. Um, and most of the stuff that comes out of the factory is already painted, but, um, sometimes in certain components, there's an option, uh, to have it painted or not have it painted. And sometimes we just paint it ourselves. It's a lot easier and quicker. And, 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 you know, turnaround time is, is sometimes critical. So we just do it ourselves. And it's cool that it's, if you paint it yourself, it's not going to avoid the warranty. Cause I, you know what, like in this area, I could see if I took a compressor and I painted it white and I tried to return yeah. it to the supplier, I, I feel that I'd have a problem getting warranty on that thing. I don't know why. I no, just, I don't know. <laughs> I, I just, I just have I'm that funny sure. feeling. 
Yeah, that was as they expected. That's the water pumps, everything. It all gets painted white, everything. Yeah. So in in these engine rooms, um, you said that you utilize most of the time. There's uh, for redundancy. There's there's four chillers, right? Well, it it depends on the size of the boat, but okay. usually the chiller plant is oversized. Let's say there's three chillers on the boat. It's probably sized for two, and the third one is is that you know what they really need in the summertime. But in the wintertime, they can get away with two. And you know, same thing with a boat that has four chillers. It just depends on the apple, you know, on the size of the boat, how many chillers they're going to have, and how many they're sized. I have some boats out there that are forty tons, but they have two twenty-ton chillers. So it, you know, that's quite a split when you go fifty-fifty among you know two pieces of equipment. So it's it's just better to split it up, whereas two chillers or three chillers you know can pretty much handle the boat in most of the high load conditions so the ex the other chiller is really a backup so if one goes down you really still have the total plant if that makes sense to you yeah so this like exactly. if you if you have a low load condition like it's not very warm outside it's kind of mild the the chillers do they stage on or or is it just all or nothing well, we recommend, especially now in the summertime and, and all the boats going down to the islands, now is our extreme high heat load. Our seawater temperatures, you know, very warm. Uh, the ambient temperature is warm. And these things, you know, sitting, baking in the sun, the fiberglass gets hot, windows, are, you know, I measure 130 degrees on side windows on boats. Wow. So they're under extreme heat loads. So in the summertime, they need the whole plant running. In the winter time, when our you know average you know temperatures during the day are a lot milder and you know the sun's not as strong, then we can knock them down. You know we'll knock them down if if they have four chillers and we can maintain it on three, we'll knock it down. You know we do that absolutely. But right now this time of the year, it's full throttle day in day out. These things are crank and the heat load here is tremendous. So. Let's say it's it's the winter and the temperature drops. Like like how low of a temperature would would you drop in your area? Would you get down to the fifties at all? Well, we do. You know, our winter is is very short. Um, our cold snaps down here are very short. Might only be two days. You know, maximum maybe four or five days in a row. So we don't have too many cold days in a row. So we actually use air conditioning. You know, three hundred sixty five days a year. Um, but like I said, we can, you know, drop chillers off, you know, if we have three chillers to my, you know, the boat, if we're, if we have a couple weeks or a couple, you know, weeks where, you know, we're in the sixties and maybe seventies during the day then the boat's going to run on the minimum amount. So we might be able to knock it down to one chill and it might actually handle the boat. It just depends on the boat. They all, there's so many variables. So it's different from boat to boat capacity wise. So I, I guess what I was getting at by that question is you do not have any form of heat on the boats, right? Because you, you don't need No, it. we do. Actually, uh, oh, we do. It depends on where the boat travels if they're going to okay. actually use it. But our chill, our chillers are actually designed and they're all built as reverse cycle chillers. Oh, so nice. every boat is reverse cycle. They all have They all have heat. Um, the old style was actually immersion heaters. Some of the older boat, we used to utilize immersion heaters, which, which you know, take a lot of electricity. But um, that's the old school design. But all the stuff in like the last, let's say, 15 to 20 years, everything became reverse cycle. 
Always no, chill is a reverse cycle. I'm I'm going to be the guy that asks the dumb question. When you say reverse <laughs> reverse cycle, do you mean like it turns? It, it's basically a heat pump. Yeah, we yeah we have reverse and valve right on okay. the chill. Yeah, that's Got, it. Just yeah, that's it. That's all gotcha. it does. Yep. Gotcha. And, uh, condense it gets ice cold. Yeah, that's all it is. Very simple. All you got to do is put it in heat mode, and you have heat. That's it. Press a button, and you have heat. That's awesome. Um, the the one thing that that I think is really cool about your job is the fact that you get to wear shorts to work. But that, that, that's not the coolest part. That, that's, that was just a little segue into what I was going to bring up next is that I think one of the cooler parts about your job is that if you get a call that a yacht is, is somewhere not in your location, like possibly in the Bahamas or, 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 or um, another uh, Caribbean island, you get to travel out to those locations to do these repairs. And I know you're still working, but, I mean, it would be so much nicer to work on a Caribbean island with the view of an ocean than on a roof staring at, you know what I mean, concrete walls all around you. So how is how I know what you mean. Do you do you enjoy that part of the job, traveling, especially um, to these locations? I love it. I love it for many reasons. In fact, I just got back. I was in Nassau last week for three days. I flew down last Thursday, came home Saturday. Um, no, I love it. It's an adventure. Um, it, you know, it, look, it can be stressful at times because you're, you're under a lot more pressure because a, they're paying a lot of money for this call, you know, flying me in and out and in hotels and you know, they pay for everything. They get billed for everything. Yeah. So you, there's, you know, there's a lot of pressure, you know, they basically, they're expecting it to be fixed and that whatever it takes, but they're expecting it to be fixed. So, you know, there's a little bit of pressure involved, but I love it. I love the adventure. Um, you know, I like the surprises sometimes, you know, bad, but mostly good. And, uh, it's, you know, of course, traveling to different locations, getting to see different places on someone else's tab is, is very nice. And yeah, I usually have some downtime. Um, I was down there last week in Nassau. I worked Thursday for literally, it only took me about two hours and, uh, I had the rest of the day off and the next day and the next day. And I came, I came home Saturday night. Um, yeah, everything's paid for. The hotel's paid for. I had a two-bedroom, two-story townhouse. It was great. It was great. So, it's like, it's basically living the HVAC dream. That's <laughs> what you're doing, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, some some days are like that. Not every day, but yeah, most most days are. Uh, they're enjoyable. Um, you know, we deal with a lot of you know a lot of nice people, happy people, patty people, enjoyable. They're fun. Um, yeah, they're under pressure too, but, um, it's, it's, it's a very enjoyable environment. You know, these crews and captains and engineers, they're, they're living on, they're really living the dream. They're living on these luxury yachts and, uh, you know, floating around the world, eating, you know, five-star food day in, day out and, uh, seeing these different locations around the world and getting paid good money for it. But no, we, we have a good time. We deal with a lot of nice people, um, very interesting people, and and gorgeous boats. It's just the most you know slickest boats around. It's just it's it's, all, it's very interesting, exciting, and and there's so many variables and and things with boats. It's just never ending. You never stop learning. You never stop discovering things. It's just that's what keeps it exciting too. And I guess one of the perks of your job is that if you make a mess, you have a crew to come in behind you and clean everything up. Correct. 
Well, yes, to a certain extent. I mean, you know, they're not going to clean up my uh, my Dunkin' Donuts, you know. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Leave around, but uh, <laughs> yeah, but, I, I but no, they help out if there's some if there's some preparation involved. If you know, if they want to put down the blue plastic and things like that, there's certain boats that they do a little bit of their own prep. Um, you know, just because they you know want to take extra precautions and protect uh, chrome engines and things like that. So you know, they definitely help out. Uh, the bigger the boat, the more help you get, the more crew members are available to help you. When it comes to lifting heavy things and bringing chillers on and stuff like that, yeah, they're absolutely glad to help us. Um, the more they help us, the quicker we get done. You know, the more air conditioning or, or quicker we have air conditioning running, they're they're happy. So they're, yeah. they're glad to help out most often, absolutely. And, and it's nice when you have um, – I, I know the crew is not your, uh, like, air quotes, customer – but it's nice when you have um, customers like that. Like there's buildings that I go to and I mean, they have a maintenance staff and if I need something, they're always willing to help. Like, I don't know how many times I've been working at home and I've left my tool bag like at the front door and I've, I've, I've gone to work right now. I, I have some yeah. spare, spare tools in the truck, but the tool bag that I carry with me everywhere has all my, my major tools that I need on a daily basis. So when I go into buildings, like, like this, where they have a maintenance crew, I'll just go into the shop and I'll say, can I borrow this, this, and this? And they give it to me if I need help carrying something, if I'm doing a compressor job and I'm carrying like my recovery machine and my vacuum pump and nitrogen tanks, they help me bring mm-hmm. it to the to the roof, which is which is incredible. Yeah, that's great. Absolutely. Rooftops can be a lot of work, that's for sure. Oh, I, I did it a long time ago. I've been there, but uh, it's been a while. <laughs> so your your background, um, you did some commercial and you did some uh, some supermarket refrigeration, correct? Yeah, when I, uh, when I was in school, I got a, a couple months early. The, the teacher sent me to work, and my first job out of school was commercial refrigeration. I did supermarket refrigeration in the beginning, which was... Uh, one hell of a learning experience and frustrating and, and long days. And, you know, of course I was not prepared for the whole situation. <laughs> it was very frustrating in the beginning. It was, uh, it was, it was a lot to learn. My boss was, uh, a piece of work back then. And, uh, yeah, luckily I worked with, with two of the best guys in the trade when it comes to commercial refrigeration down here, they're no longer in the area, but, um, I was fortunate enough to work alongside them, especially one guy, and he showed me a lot of old school good tricks, a good way of doing things. And uh, it's it's nice to learn those tricks in the field, but you just don't learn in the book, in the classroom to learn it, you know, in action with a guy that's been doing it 20 years, that's done it thousands of times. And, and you're, that's that's where you really learn. Yeah, no, it's it's good. See, I learned off some, some guys like that too. And, it, and it's funny, I was thinking about it um, the other day. And when you go online nowadays, like you have, you have a group of people and I call them like the vacuum police, because if you show a picture of pulling a vacuum and, and you, you have one step wrong, they're all over you. You know what I mean? But no, I know. I won't even show you my vacuum <laughs> setup because I'm old school. So I won't even post my picture because I pull through gauges. So I won't post it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. And that, that's, that's where the vacuum police will get you. They'll come arrest you if you're pulling through your gauges. Right. And for 24 but, years, I've had zero problems pulling a vacuum. <laughs> I do. I do honestly find though, that, um, if you yeah. just go, if you just go from the system right to your pump, it is faster, but I used to pull through gauges all the time. And what I was going to say was all these guys I learned from um, coming up, they didn't use a micron gauge. 
when they checked superheat and subcooling, they would do it with their hand. They'd have their gauges on the system, but they would check the yeah, superheat yeah. and subcooling with their hands, right? That's, I know. That's, that's how they would check it. Thing, yeah. It was guessing, but yeah, I know. they had so much experience and so much knowledge that they would fix things like this, right? And then I... Well, I yeah, the, sorry, go on. The, the, you know, they, they, I noticed that too, but those guys, for some reason, they just had the edge. They didn't have the tools, so they, they just did it naturally. And you know what? It worked. They were able to do it. Uh, you know, I, of course, prefer using instruments. You know, I use a pipe clamp. I do it the right way. Um, but those guys, they just they just had it. I don't know what it was. They just had the magic. They could just do it. Were they always 100%? I don't know. It was a long time ago. I didn't, you know, have a pipe clamp back then to go behind them and check. But, hey, those systems ran forever, and they ran good. Yeah, and, and it's incredible. And that's how I learned coming up. I didn't I didn't learn to use a micron gauge coming up. I didn't learn to use a thermometer on the, on the, um, the piping because I watched these guys just grab the pipe and <laughs> my, my advanced, like here we do, um, we do our apprenticeship. We do like basic intermediate and advanced training. We do two months, two month blocks of schooling. Right. And in my okay. advanced, in my advanced class, my teacher said something that blew my mind. And to this day, I tell everybody about this. So if you take, if you take a laser gun, like a, uh, a laser thermometer and you point it at the palm of your hand, it'll be between 91, yeah. 91 to 94 degrees Fahrenheit. Right? So if you, okay. if you touch a pipe that's 94 degrees Fahrenheit, it's the exact same temperature as your hand. So, you know, that pipe is 94 degrees Fahrenheit, right? Right. Right. So if you feel a pipe that's 10 degrees colder, 10 degrees warmer, and then start playing these guessing games, eventually you'll get really good at it. And I guess that's what these guys were doing back then. And I've been practicing this for 20 years and I've gotten pretty good, <laughs> pretty good at guessing. I can get within three or four degrees of, of feeling these pipes now because I've been doing it for so long. Well, I understand what you're saying. And I do the same thing, but I do that only as a guide to, to tell me what step, what approach I'm going to use. I exactly. Feel like I feel it, the liquid line. I feel the suction line. I feel the side of the compressor. So there's certain things I don't necessarily have to measure right away that's going to tell me what direction I need to take this call in. But, you know, when I need to fine-tune and when it gets to the gases and things like that and I have to know, then, of course, the pipe clamps, you know, come out that, you know, if I feel something and now I'm unsure, well, now I need to test it. Now I need to measure. Of course, yeah. Exactly. That's what I was hoping you were going to say because I actually did a podcast on that like in the beginning when I started doing these podcasts about three or four months ago and, and I called it the HVAC six cents because you use all your, you use all your senses together except taste. You're not, you're not going to taste many things. <laughs> the HVAC no, I prefer not but, to. But I mean, touch, uh, scent, um, listening and, um, yes, and, and yes, look, smell and, and, everything. You know? Yes. So you put those all together sure. and you can come up with a pretty good, not maybe a diagnosis, but like you said, it will lead you into the direction you need to go to then now now pull out your temperature clamp or your amp probe or your gauges. You know what right. I mean? It helps you narrow it down to what, what now what do I ultimately need to test? This is hot. Now I need to figure out why. Yeah, absolutely. I do it all the time. We listen, I watch, I look at seawater pumps overboard, how much water there, you know, I just do it naturally as I'm walking down the docks. I'm looking at overboards and see how much water is coming out. 
yeah, you're always looking around and feeling things and touching things and feeling temperature and feeling evaporators. Oh, I feel around day in, day out. I'm feeling things. I'm feeling temperature. So, yeah, you notice and I'm walking around the boat. And I'm going from stateroom to stateroom to a larger area. And you want the boat to be even. You know, so, uh, you know, you got to walk around and you got to pay attention. You got to feel things. You got to stick your hand up in front of, you know, you know, grills and feel temperatures. Make sure it's even throughout the boat. You have to adjust anything. So, yeah, we're always, always feeling things. Absolutely. So I think you touched a nerve on a lot of guys when you said that you spent a lot of hours out when you're doing refrigeration, um, uh, supermarket refrigeration, because I, I don't know one person that does supermarket refrigeration that when they're on call, they're not gone all weekend. My, my buddy down the street um, does supermarket <laughs> refrigeration, and the weekends he's on call, his van is yeah. not in the driveway the whole weekend. No. Like, he's gone. No. It's, yeah, it's a lot of work. I, you know, I do remember quite a bit of it. Um, and I'll tell you what's funny is this is back around, you know, 94, 95, 96, when I was doing commercial refrigeration right out of school. And we didn't have cell phones just yet back then. Everything was a pager, okay? So I'd get home after, you know, a 12, 13-hour day, you know, 9, 10 o'clock, and finally sit down to eat, and the microwave would go off, and that beep would go off, and I'd reach for the page, and I'd be, ah, shit, and like, ah, oh, great, it's just the microwave. And, and it's like, you just, that beep would just be so annoying, because it wasn't cell phones back then. And yeah, it was nonstop. The beep would go off at two in the morning and have to drive, you know, 45 minutes to hit an oil pressure switch up on the roof. It was a lot of work, uh, a lot, especially in the beginning, not knowing a lot. It's, it's a lot to do. But I guess when you work that much in the beginning as an apprentice, that's where you get um, your base, right? Your base to, for, for now, because when I was an apprentice, I went through a shitty apprenticeship shitty because i i fucked up a lot of stuff <laughs> like i i blew up motors <laughs> thermostats i got yelled at i cut like blades off of blower motors to get down to set <laughs> set screws and stuff and you know what yeah. i mean and I, I i was just a buffoon but i think that you need to do all that stuff in order to learn you just got to make sure while you're doing it you don't get fired <laughs> right and i was, yeah, I was well. probably pretty close a few times to getting fired but th then I would then I would explain why I did it and I guess maybe the logic that I was using made sense to my boss at the time okay maybe he was yeah. trying to, and 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 every every time that I made a mistake I did learn from it I I like progressed well that's, that's the important part yeah, yeah that's the important part well, I mean, I was lucky in the beginning, I guess. Uh, I've always been, I've been mechanical all my life. Um, so getting into the trade, with, you know, the mechanical part wasn't a big deal for me, you know, learning how to do this stuff. Just learning how to, you know, troubleshoot and do HVAC was, was you know, the big thing learning. But the mechanical part, you know, removing a condenser fan blade on a, you know, supermarket condenser motor in the beginning, I didn't have too many problems figuring out that stuff, you know, being very mechanical. Luckily, I didn't break too many things because I asked questions and I'm mechanical. But um, it's the whole troubleshooting and just understanding the system itself and, and of course, all of the electrical components in a, you know, in a main panel. Um, that was the learning curve. The mechanical part, I was, um, I'd say, fairly natural at, which, which is, which I'm very lucky and fortunate for. So, but memorizing a lot of stuff, that's you know, or, you know, had to really work at it. 
Yeah, I, I mean, coming up as an apprentice in this trade is, is very difficult for anybody because you're working by yourself a lot. And depending on who you have to help you, like, I mean, sometimes you get lucky and you have a mentor that will help you yeah. in every situation you get you get yourself into. But sometimes there's a lot of techs out there, young techs coming in. They don't have that mentor. They don't have anybody no, that they can count on. It's harder nowadays because, you know, the, you know, the old school guys, they're starting to go away. The guys that really know their stuff inside and out, they're starting to disappear. So it is getting harder and harder for the young guys to have a good teacher. I was very fortunate in the very beginning in commercial refrigeration to have um, a guy that took me under his wing. He was a great teacher, um, great guy from New York, taught me a lot of stuff. And the same thing with the marine part of the industry. When I went to work for the first company, um, I worked alongside actually the best guy in the trade um, for many years. And even when I was out on my own, he was the guy to call. I had choices. I had you know people to call, but I have to call him. He's the guy. There's no guessing. It's a simple, here's what you check, here's the problem, and hang up the phone and go back to work. It was, it was great. The guy knew this stuff inside out. He was amazing. Um, unfortunately, he passed away a couple of years ago. Oh, sorry um, to hear about that. It was, a, it was an absolutely amazing learning experience, you know, in the HVAC, I'm sorry, in the marine industry. So I've been very fortunate along the way to work alongside some very, very skilled, knowledgeable guys and good teachers too. They had the teaching ability too. So they, they were the, the well-rounded package. They had all the knowledge and they were willing to share and teach it properly. So I was pretty lucky along the way. I really was. That's good. That's good. I, I had a few of those guys, some, some guys, not so much, <laughs> but I find that, <laughs> yeah, well. I, I find that even, even the guys that don't care about helping you and are not great techs, if you just stand there and watch them, you can learn so much because you learn what not, you learn what not to do. You know what I mean? You learn what not to say not to. to the customer. You, you you learn a lot of you see a lot of negative things they do, and you say, you know what? I'm not going to be like that guy. I'm going to do everything opposite of him. So I mean, anybody that works with a tech like that, just remember that you can learn from those guys too. But you just learn what not to do. Don't copy their yeah their yeah, actions. Yeah, you, right. You learn, you know, you learn the bad stuff and, and, yeah, you learn not to do that thing, not, not that bad thing. And it's unfortunate that, you know, some guys out there have a bad attitude and they're a bad example for the company. And don't let that be discouraging. Just, just find the right guys within the company to work for and just learn. Just continue to learn and you'll get good at this stuff. So I'm not going to keep you for too much longer, but I did want to ask you, because you did tell me some um, interesting things that you've found on some of these yachts. And I think that some of these listeners <laughs> would be interested to hear. Like, um, I think one of them, you found a wine cellar in the, in the hull of the boat in one of the boats. Yeah. That that's one particular one that I worked on years ago. They, yeah, they had a wine cellar in the V berth of the boat, which is all the way up forward. Underneath the master stateroom, you had to peel back the carpet, and there was a hatch to get you know down below the, the deck floor, and it was literally the hull of the boat was lined with um with you know PVC uh, you know tubes about uh, you know 
10 inches long, just enough to slip a bottle into. And there was probably about a thousand bottles down there and probably another 15, 20 cases up in the master stateroom that weren't even put away yet. There was a tremendous amount of wine down there. So they had two fan coils. They had a chiller on the boat. It was about 110 foot, if I remember correctly. Um, they had a chiller system on the boat. So they had two fan coils down in this space to use as a dehumidifier to control the humidity down there. And of course, both of them were down and out, so there was a lot of mold down there, and it was pretty, it was pretty disgusting actually. But it's all fiberglass, so it's you know I don't have to clean it up, but it's all easy clean up. But uh, I don't want to be down there too long with all that mold. <laughs> That's incredible, though. A thousand bottles of wine down in the basically, uh, basically the, the the basement of a boat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A section of the, of the basement, absolutely. But uh, you know, there's other types of of large type wine you know storage places on boats there's, there's, there's boats out there that have you know a couple hundred bottles of wine on them at all times oh yeah and did you mention something about a bag of cash or or a suitcase suitcase of cash or something like that you came across yeah yeah one time i was working uh i think it was in the, yeah, it was in the salon area and right next to the uh to the fan coil in the salon i guess that's where the owner kept his one of his bags of cash yeah there was a big bag of cash right next to the air handler in the closet there that's an, you haven't found any any drugs or anything like that have you um well let's just say you see everything from <laughs> from money money to drugs to all kinds of fancy clothes to skimpy clothes to guns drugs money jewels you name it it's all there because i can come any closer you know not the everyday occurrence but um i've seen it all <laughs> over well, time I, I i imagine you have because i can imagine some of these High-end yachts are not owned by legitimate business people, right? Some of them are owned by. Oh no some... no no no! The majority of it is it's all legit. These are you know owners of major corporations that gotcha. you know, distributions around the world. No, this is people that hold patents, inventors, um, you know, movie stars. No, these are all you know very very wealthy people, legitimate companies. Of course, there's a small percentage out there that's not so legit, but the majority of it's all legit money. Um, like I said, these are just super wealthy people that have very successful companies and obviously huge companies, major corporations. I work on so many boats that are owned, you know, major corporations. I could I could rattle them off. But I don't want to bore you guys with all the names, but um, major corporations, sports teams, all these guys, you know, big money. All that all that stuff's big money. Well, that's that's good that it's all legitimate because, I mean, you don't want to step onto a boat of an illegitimate business person who's doing shady things and then you get caught up into something, I mean, you don't want to be caught up in, right? So, that, that, No, that, that's I mean, good. most often, you know, worst case scenario, a person like that, let's just say, look, the boat's legit. What he does with his business and his other business to get that boat, we don't know. That might be the type of person that there might be a little bit of issue with the payment or something because he's just that kind of guy. And that's, you know, not the everyday occurrence either. But, you know, there's those people that exist too. But, you know, 99% of it is legit. It's real money, big money. Like I said, the major corporations, inventors, things like that. It's, 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 that's legitimate big time money. Cool. All right, man. Well, 
you know what? At times during this conversation, I forgot that we were we were do, actually doing a podcast because I was enjoying um, talking to you. Well, I appreciate it, and uh, of course, any any further questions you have, no problem. I got plenty of time, and uh, be glad to answer them. So, I uh, I appreciate that, and I, I appreciate it. Yeah, <clears throat> I appreciate you hopping on the podcast, and I appreciate like on all in all honesty, I appreciate the the amount of patience you've had with with um all these technical di- difficulties I've been having with with getting these things out like like I said before this is our third conversation and from what I can tell everything seems to be running correctly on the app right now so beautiful let's, beautiful yeah, well, let, <laughs> let's get it transferred before something else happens before uh, I I drop sure. my phone and it breaks <laughs> okay yeah, no problem no problem all right, Eric, you have a good night. Um, work safe, and um, I'd like you back on the podcast at some point and maybe go through some, some, some jobs you've done that, that we can all learn from or, or were kind of a nightmare for you or a learning curve for you or, or, or something like that. You know what I mean? Sure, no problem. Yeah, things happen all the time. And uh, this is, for me, this is coming into my busy season uh, for flyouts, you know, from, from, let's say like July until the end of the year. So hopefully we'll, we'll get into something exciting, uh, far, far and away. And, uh, we'll have some nice pictures of the show and interesting situation going on. But, uh, even around here, we got interesting things happening. We're in our slow season right now, but, uh, things, things happen, things pop up, emergency situations on these boats. So interesting can, can happen any day at any time. So I will definitely keep you guys posted and informed. <laughs> Perfect. Awesome. Okay, Eric, have a good night. Great talking to you. And thanks, thanks again. Gary. Thanks again, man. Thanks again. Take care. And uh, hopefully, hopefully this saves for you and you're able to transfer and, and no more glitches. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Me too. All right. Okay. No take it. Problem. Take it easy. All right. Take care. Thanks again. All right. Bye-bye. Yep. Have a good night. You too. Bye. So who wants to become a Marine HVAC tech? Virtual hands in the air. It's a pretty cool job, Eric Scott. Not going to lie. Um, going to service calls in the Bahamas, working on the water. I mean, that to me is the HVAC dream. Come on. Does it get any better? Working in white engine rooms, clean. Working with captains and crews. You know, I'm sure he's got some some days where things don't go the way that he planned, or I'm sure he's got some bad days. But listen, I think I'd rather have a bad day on a luxury yacht staring at the ocean than I would on the roof of a building in a downtown core in two feet of snow freezing my ass off. I don't know. Just kind of my point of view. So, guys, I hope you enjoyed that conversation because I did. And I'd love to have Eric back on the podcast to talk about some some more stories, some some service calls that he's gone on, some things he's fixed on the yachts. So thanks to Eric again. You guys have an awesome day. Happy HVACing.